This is a CBC Podcast. Hey, I'm Claire Bonnyman, and welcome to The Loop. This week, we're talking about wildfire. We felt the smoke across the city for a couple of weeks now, although honestly, it's felt longer than that, at least for me. There's a new episode out this week of the CBC Edmonton original podcast, World on Fire. The series goes to the front lines of wildfire around the world and launched last summer. This year, a follow-up in another record-breaking fire season. And we've got a sneak peek of the latest episode. But first, joining me to talk about the project is senior producer Leslie Goldstone. Hello, Leslie. Hello, Claire. Thank you for joining me on The Loop. You're very welcome. (laughs) It's funny because first, I really want to address... You do a lot of stuff at CBC Edmonton, but lately at least, you're not often in front of the mic. But for this episode of the podcast and for this conversation on The Loop too, you have put on the headphones. So how does that feel? Well, like you say, it's not an entirely new thing for me, <laughs> but I certainly do feel more comfortable helping produce a great talent like you oh, uh, that we've got around here at CBC Edmonton. <laughs> Still, it, w- it was really nice to be able to talk about stories and people that are, are have become very important to me over the course of this podcast and to be able to showcase some of the great work of the scientists, reporters, and just community members that we've met over the last several episodes of World on Fire. You covered a lot of ground. So what is the focus of this latest episode of the podcast? We have. I mean, the podcast goes around the world, and we've talked a lot about the wildfires in those communities. But this year, uh, we all know it, we're seeing the heat yeah. Right. And we're feeling we're, the heat. We're feeling <laughs> yeah. the heat. So we are focused on heat and climate change. And of course, we're also experiencing the smoke. So this episode kind of looks at all of that and that big change. And for a few years now, the smoke has become an issue coming from the United States, from BC. Now we're seeing it from Manitoba as well. And it, It's more than just fires burning down communities. It's about our health. It's about our economics. And so this episode kind of looks at the ramifications of things we haven't maybe been paying much attention to. As I mentioned in the intro too, this project started a year ago. And you've been sitting in this world of wildfire research and stories and understanding for a while now. What's stuck with you from all of the conversations that have been a part of this project so far? Honestly, it's it's just how resilient people are, hmm. truly. I mean, I, again, we've talked to people around the world and their stories are remarkably similar. Um, they will see their homes, uh, their villages, their towns, even their cities burn and they will rebuild again and again and again. And the tenacity that you see and the coming together and just the, the human spirit to make that happen and to believe that they can rebuild their community and not only survive but thrive, I I think that's just remarkable. And then there's the people who battle those wildfires on on the ground and they're exhausted and they don't quit. And their stories are just – they're so inspiring. That's the thing that I think I love as someone who I've helped out, full disclosure, and I helped work on the podcast with you as well. But just Mm -hmm. listening to the episodes, I think it's the humans, right? Like it's Mm -hmm. the real faces on this issue that feels so scientific and numbery and big, but there's just real individual stories and uh, and the podcast really does bring them forward, which is awesome. But looking at this latest episode – What's the takeaway? What do you hope people get from it? Well, and just like you said, I mean, it's it's the real people again. So I feel like this episode is a wake-up call, honestly. You know, I mean, it's real people saying we need to make change. The heat is 
is here. You know, things that were never on models ever before are suddenly on models now. You know, we hear from uh, meteorologist Joanna Wagstaff just about the heat dome and pilots that are saying that the heat is so high they've never seen it reach that high into the atmosphere before. So I, I hope that this one is is a wake-up call for people and that they really start seeing that this is going to affect them where they live. And we've got just a cut of the episode that we're going to play on The Loop today. But I want to know, is there anything you want people to listen to? Do you have a favorite moment or a favorite a conversation from the show that you really hope people open up their ears to? Well, we hear from a lot of great people. <laughs> yeah. You can't pick a favorite. It's like picking a child. It is. It really is. But my favorite child. Yeah. <laughs> no. <laughs> I do really enjoy the conversation our host Adrian Lamb had with DeAndre Wiley, and he's a, a fire behavior analyst with the U.S. Forest Service. And he, when we talked to him, he was almost two weeks in to fighting the huge fires in the states between California and Oregon. And they're massive down there, very hard to fight because of the heat and the wind. And uh, he was just really down to earth and spoke from the heart. And yeah, you want to hear that. A fire in Lytton, B.C. took almost no time to turn deadly. That blaze completely destroyed the village and killed two of its residents. And Lytton also set the record for the hottest temperature in Canada just one day before that devastating wildfire. Yeah, and watching all of those fires across British Columbia for the CBC is Joanna Wagstaff. She's a meteorologist, a seismologist, and science reporter in Vancouver. Hey, Joanna. Hey, Adrian. We all have been experiencing the heat, but how hot has it been in B.C.? Uh, right now in Vancouver, uh, we're about 28 degrees. Uh, unbelievably, this is our break. Uh, this is about 10 degrees cooler than how hot it was during the heat dome. What has been happening with those record-breaking temperatures? It's just been astonishing as a meteorologist talking to meteorologists both across our country, across the border. We've never seen anything like this and, and we never expected to see, see something like this, not just this early in the season, but this early in the decade. I mean, we know climate change, uh, the fingerprint of climate change is all over this, uh, but the sort of particular weather factors that came together, we had this huge amplification in the jet stream over the Pacific. And then as that moved towards BC, it sort of parked itself, this dome sat over BC for days and that sinking air acted like a pressure cooker so each day was hotter than the next. On top of it we had winds racing from the interior out towards the coast so almost like a, a mini Chinook event as those winds compressed and heated up uh, by the time they hit the coast. Just unbelievable. So let's get back to the heat dome and the factors required to create this pressure cooker that you're describing. We know that our baseline has already shifted in British Columbia, so we're going to see these events more and more. But what was so unique about this heat dome is how high in the atmosphere it was. I've never seen heat that high up in the atmosphere. The tops of all of our mountains across British Columbia were rapidly melting. I was hearing from pilots who were sending me screenshots of their uh, temperature gauge in the cockpit saying they've never seen it that warm, that high up. So that was what was so extraordinary with this high pressure system. And that just, you know, helped to continually mix down more and more heat. Uh, the other interesting factor is that it happened earlier in the season, so we have more hours of daylight compared to, say, an August event, and the sun angle was higher. So all of that sort of led to, unfortunately, this, this perfect and unexpected storm. How dangerous can this kind of heat level be for people like you and me? 
anytime, you know, we get temperatures sort of over 30 degrees and, and Environment Canada issues those heat warnings, there's, there's always risk, especially for uh, our, our vulnerable population. But when we talk about temperatures for days, you know, higher than 35 degrees, higher than 45 degrees for the interior, anytime we see this anywhere in the world, even places that are used to warmer climates, people die. This is, you know, humans can't cope with this kind of heat without uh, things like air conditioning and uh, a lot of water and uh, a lot of medical care. So uh, that that's why this one was so particularly dangerous because it was just so extraordinarily hot for so long. And hundreds of people perished in British Columbia during this wave. It was truly devastating. I think especially, you know, if, if I can speak as a, as a scientist strictly, um, we, we saw it coming and we we at first almost didn't want to believe the numbers we were seeing in the models, but as all of them sort of came into agreement, we saw the potential for an event like this early on in the forecast. And, you know, as, when, when we started to see those numbers, you know, confirm our worst fears, it was uh, it was devastating to see that in our own backyard. And the other factor was we, we had a humidex level, which made it so much harder mm-hmm. for the body to cool itself. And we really didn't get any relief overnight. And that's, I think, what really made it so, so deadly. We haven't even talked about wildfire, you and I, yet. I mean, Ugh. I mean that is, again, another layer of this heat. Yes. And I think, you know, last year was sort of a nice, well, a, a more days of past kind of summer. We had a more sort of west to east flow. It was nice to have a bit of a break from the devastating wildfire seasons that we're seeing more and more of here on the west coast. Uh, so when we saw that heat dome move in and, and we sort of had a, a, a some good rain to start the spring season, but then in June we got the numbers that uh, it had been a record dry spring for the south. And I know for fire forecasters that was sort of a bit of a red flag. Okay, we're this early in the season. We can just hope for sort of a soggy cooler July and we got the exact opposite and I think there's a lot of concern with how early in the season we're seeing conditions like this. You're reporting on everything that's happening. How are you doing? Thank you for asking. Um, it's it's pretty wild. I don't think I've, the few moments that I've sort of had to stop and catch my breath, I I feel really sad. Uh, you know, I it's, it's something that I've talked about for a long time. And like I said, I, I don't think any of us expected to see it this early on. So uh, I, I, the one silver lining is more people in British Columbia are talking about climate change than ever before. And, you know, I'm going to sort of hang on to that positive that unfortunately it took everyone being impacted in such a negative way. But I feel like the, the tide is really turning here. The idea that we will just have to deal with smoke all the time and the sort of temperature extremes and and the events that were going to affect you know my children when they were in their 30s are now affecting my two-year-old so it's it's definitely happening faster than many of us realized and that and the models are showing that you know the models were fine-tuning them and we're realizing that the feedback loops are happening uh, much faster and they're much more connected than we realized there are currently more than 170 active wildfires burning across British Columbia. It was just hot and fast and, you know, I'm like, oh boy, this is going to be crazy. I just can't get it out of my mind. I just, I, I cannot get it out of my mind. It took like a whole 15 minutes from, you know, the first sign of smoke to all of a sudden there being fire, you know, everywhere. It was only thin for a while and then there were flames all around. Oh my God, look at that. Jesus Christ. 
we're actually doing, our house is actually doing pretty well so far. Holy shit, it's fun. There was nothing left downtown. There was maybe three houses standing downtown. Those are just some of the voices of the people who were so hard hit by that fire so recently in Lytton, B.C. Now, Rachel Reimer, she lived in Lytton as well for two years. And when she was there, she was the initial attack crew leader with B.C. Fire Services. Now she works on cultural change and inclusion as a researcher with the United States Forest Service in Revelstoke, B.C. Hey, Rachel. Hello. First, how are you doing? It's been a difficult time just processing a lot of sadness for my former colleagues and for the community in Lytton and grieving as I go through the stages for myself, accepting what's happened there. I'm also experiencing a lot of inspiration and gratitude, just seeing the kindness and the courage that both my colleagues in FIRE are showing and also just the outpouring of support for them from the broader community. Tell me a little bit more about what your time was like in Lytton. I was based there for two fire seasons and spent about eight months each year there uh, in 2015 and 2016. And Lytton is an incredibly close-knit community. Uh, It's a majority Indigenous community and everyone is deeply connected and it's a beautiful town to be in. It's also a very stressful place to fight fires. And so I felt a great deal of responsibility to my role in the wildfire service and also to the community there to keep everyone safe. What did you think when you heard the reports of the wildfire there? I'm not surprised by the wildfire and the destructive potential that it had and how quickly it moved. The firefighters and the community there are living my worst nightmare. And this eventuality that the village may burn in a wildfire was always on my mind during the hot and dry months of the summer. It's a very deep and dry place, and there's bunch grass and sage growing on the hillside uh, below town, above town, and throughout town. And there is a railroad that's between the river and town. So homes are above the railroad, and fire likes to travel uphill, and it's in a canyon. So there's really strong winds that uh, are funneled through. And so you have all of the right ingredients for a very catastrophic wildfire situation. What have you heard from your firefighter friends in Lytton? Uh, A lot of fatigue and overwhelm. They've been working nonstop since the day that this happened. And I think as a firefighter, often you don't have the time or emotional energy to process your experience as it's happening, often you put your head down and keep working. And it's not until after the fire season when the smoke clears that you're able to really process. So a lot of folks are struggling, but they're amazing, resilient people and they're, uh, you know, they're continuing to do their work, which is to fight wildfires there. You started a GoFundMe for the firefighters of Lytton. Why did you want to do that? The GoFundMe is an acknowledgement of how difficult it is to be a first responder. And the firefighters in Lytton are fighting the fire that burned their homes and their belongings. And not only are their homes and belongings gone, but their entire support network there in Lytton also has lost everything. And they have fragile nervous systems just like the rest of us. So my concern is for the mental health and well-being of my former colleagues who are facing just an incredible loss and a very difficult fire season ahead. Rachel, thanks for making time. You're so welcome. 
That's Rachel Reimer. She lived in Lytton for two years fighting fires there. And she set up a GoFundMe for the Lytton firefighters to give them support after this fire season is over. We didn't think of it as catastrophic hotter weather. We thought of it as hotter weather. And I don't think there are too many people that didn't. Two trucks would not save this town. Just wouldn't. Still hot, dry, and windy. And that's really the perfect storm for new ignitions. This heat also created such intense conditions. much of the interior is a tinderbox. Some people saying maybe they shouldn't run trains during extremely dry times, but extremely dry times like now is three months. So you can't stop commerce for three months. And relief won't come as that heat dome continues east. We are a small rural indigenous low-income community and we're the spear point of climate change, but it's coming for everybody. That record-breaking heat throughout parts of North America is also making the work fire crews do on the ground, fighting wildfires, incredibly difficult. For sure. And in the middle of that heat, on the front lines, we've reached DeAndre Wiley. He's a training chief with the Santa Barbara County Fire Department in California, and he's also a fire behavior analyst with the U.S. Forest Service. Hey, DeAndre, where are we reaching you today? Uh, Today I am in uh, Beckworth, California. It's located in the Plumas National Forest surrounded by different types of pine trees. Um, there's prairies. It's a pretty dry area. It hasn't had uh, the normal rainfall that they would normally have, so uh, the fuels are very dry. Some of the lakes are really low. So how serious are the fires you're battling right now there? Uh, they're very serious, and the, the, the seriousness comes in because of how dry it is. We use different criteria to Uh, measure the seasonal dryness. And right now, what we're seeing is this week, it's roughly seven weeks ahead of schedule. Normally, we would be this dry in mid to late August, but we're seeing it right now. So what that has done is just prolonged our fire season, made it longer. And as we get longer into the season, it, it becomes even more and more dangerous. So what are the big challenges with this fire? Just the fuel dryness, everything is so dry and receptive from our down and dead fuels to the the live fuels. They're also dry. So any little ember that gets comes out of the convective column of the main fire and lands in a spot, it creates a whole new fire. So that's why this fire propagated so fast in such a short period of time. And also um, the staffing, having enough firefighters and supervisors and overhead. You know, we're in a shortage in that regard, so that's tough. And then on top of that, all of our aerial assets, when the wind's blowing so hard, they they have to ground. So they can't drop retardant or drop water. So our helicopters can't do their work. The fixed-wing tankers can't do their work. So all those in combination just equals, you know, much larger fires and fire spread. So what else are you hearing from the community? You know, the community's been very appreciative for the work we're doing. Uh, This area is pretty rich with fire history. I've been on this forest numerous times for different large fires. I think they're pretty self-sufficient, and they know how to leave the area when we do the uh, evacuations. So it's not nothing new to them. Maybe some new residents, it might be new, but they've welcomed us here and thankful for the work we've done and uh, just very appreciative. That's how I feel. How long have you been fighting fires? This is my uh, 27th season. Um, I've been with this uh, particular team for about two years now as a fire behavior analyst. Um, so I've seen um, a, a lot of you know, vegetation fires, but the past 
maybe five years, it's, it's just been pretty insurmountable and surreal on how fast they go and the flame lengths. And uh, it's just been a challenge. And I don't, I don't see those challenges easing up anytime soon. Do you feel it's different now? You know, we, we talk about the biggest fire season ever this year, but it's pretty much the norm now. I mean, we're seeing extreme fire behavior on every fire. So I don't know that it's even extreme anymore. I think extreme is kind of uh, fatiguing. People hear that so much that what we're witnessing is just so unrealistic, but it's what we do now. You know, we're having larger fires, chewing up more acreage. The fire behavior is more extreme. So now it's just kind of the norm, the way I look at it. So what are your worries for the future? For me, I think as people continue to move into the forest, as we continue to habitat those areas and the large fires we have with the longer and longer fire seasons, uh, short on staffing, I think my biggest fear is that firefighters make it, we're asking them to do a lot with a little and the public. So I I think I'm more afraid for the humans that are involved (laughs) You know, the bushes will grow back, but as people, like I said, encroach into those those wilderness habitats and um, we're asking our firefighters to do a significant amount of work with short resources, I think it's it's dangerous for them too. Even though we do our risk abatement into our plans and build safety in there, I think it's still really dangerous because of just the environment itself. How tired are you? Uh, (laughs) That's a a good question. Uh, I think this is our, what, probably... 13th day, 13th shift. Typically, we're up at four o'clock preparing for the day, and there's some administrative duties. There's lots of planning, tactics and strategy meetings, operational briefings, and the day isn't done until probably 11 o'clock, 11.30. So just around the clock and then the pressures of there's some deadlines within those days that have to be met. So Right now, I'm not too bad. You know, some days off will be nice, but I've just kind of set my mind on that, you know, we're going to get through this cycle and then maybe home for a couple days and then we're going to be doing it again and again and again. So I think it's it's going to be a long season. So I'm trying to look, instead of at my toes, just look in the horizon and, and just kind of go that way. That was an excerpt of the CBC Edmonton original podcast, World on Fire. You can find Episode 7, Heat, and all other episodes on the CBC Listen app or wherever you get the loop right now. And speaking of the loop, we are a weekly podcast from CBC Edmonton. And this week, our team is Leslie Goldstone, Christina Silva, Chris Martin, and James Evans. Our theme music is Change Your Mind by Edmonton musician John Common. I'm Claire Bonnyman. Thank you so much for listening. There's always so much more to know, so you can get into the loop with us every Friday. Next week, we have a special guest host, so please tune in for that. I will be back later in August, and I can't wait to say hi again. But in the meantime, you can leave us a rating or a review wherever you download the show. It really matters, and we would love to hear from you. Or if you want to get in touch directly and tell us what you think, we have an email, theloop at cbc.ca. Use the hashtag TheLoopCBC on social media or reach out to us. I'm at NamiKnob, or you can check out all of the goings-on of CBC Edmonton at MyCBCYeg. And of course, stay in the loop and follow us on the CBC Listen app or wherever you find your shows. For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.